I'm putting out a call for critter stories. I want to hear your tales of escaped farm animals, of acrobatic goats, or naughty but nice dogs and cats. Nothing sentimental. Just dramatize the intuition and intelligence of animals. And maybe your sense of humor and smarts, too. Get on our website, agarts.org. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and record a short pitch of your story with your contact information. If chosen, you will record your full story and it will be broadcast on a future Buggy Land podcast. There's $50 and a subscription to Plain Interests for the featured storytellers. So, let's hear from you. It's Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and I'm your host, Mary Swander. Last month, I watched my Amish neighbor, Abram Yutzi, work all day on my neighbor Donna's house. Abram dismantled Donna's library with just a hammer, board by board, a huge room that she had added onto her house some 30 years ago. The library had once housed Donna's husband Stu's vast collection of books. Then after 25 years, their marriage dissolved. Stu took off for California. The books went to the local prison. Donna moved her sewing machine and quilting frame into the library, the shelves filling with photographs of her children and grandchildren. In the winters, she made potholders for Christmas presents and quilts for great-grandchildren arriving on the scene. Then last January, Donna went to Florida to visit her son and family who lived there. A neighbor and I kept an eye on Donna's horses, making sure they had enough hay and that their water was open. Do you want me to check on the house, I asked. No, it will be fine, Donna said. Her local son lived nearby, and he would stop in. By mid-January, the temperature plunged to minus 10 degrees. I thought about checking Donna's house. She had had a pipe under a kitchen sink freeze in the past. But my back had gone out, and I could hardly hobble to the bathroom. The neighbor took over the chores with the horses. Then I received an agonizing call from Donna's local son. Her pipes had frozen, burst, and created a waterfall in the library, flooding most of the house. The heat still on, the place turned into a terrarium, complete with a five-foot-long bull snake floating through the living room. With pumps, fans, and dryers, new carpet, new insulation, and drywall, the house was saved. But the library was a total loss. The insurance agent's foot had sunk right through the flooring.
You'll need to bulldoze the library, he'd said. Instead, Old Order Amish neighbor Abram Yatsi asked to salvage the library. The Amish don't bulldoze or trash much. They don't waste good lumber that could be reused. They don't waste old clothes that could be made into rugs. They don't waste food that could be eaten as leftovers. They don't waste time. Donna took Abram up on his offer, still a bit shaky from her disaster. Ah, you don't need that library anyway, other neighbors said, trying to boost her spirits. Stu's gone in his library too, others agreed. But Donna had to set to work on what was present. I don't have any clean clothes, she said. She fished her clothes out of the water and muck and headed to the laundromat. Donna worked for months, supervising the restoration company. Nation's top trauma service, the sign said on their truck. For many weeks, Donna stayed with a friend in town, driving back and forth. First, she had to move everything out of the water-damaged areas. One day, I saw a big dumpster arrive. Alley-oop. Donna's recliner went first. Chucked. Then her mattress. Then, alley-oop-oop-oop, her sofa. Once the snow had melted, the crops were in and up, and we hit the summer lull. Abram arrived with his hammer. First, he stripped off the siding. Then the tin roof and sheeting came off. Then he peeled down the library to the joists and beams. The windows, the sills rotted, were pulled out and stacked under a tree. Next, the rafters came down, and as they were an odd size, they were dismantled. Abram worked steadily, moving swiftly from job to job, task to task, cleaning up everything behind him, seldom taking a break but for returning home for his noon meal and his buggy. The top trauma men arrived at varying points during the day, laying a piece of carpet here or painting a wall there. They might arrive bright and early on a Monday morning, disappearing by 10 a.m., not to be seen again until Wednesday. When they did come back, they marveled at Abram's speed and dexterity. Finally, Abram needed some help. His 20-something daughter showed up, the only child Abram still had living at home, to help him stack the heavier boards. Heave ho! Daughter and father coordinated their movements, the daughter's long skirt brushing the ground. of Ag Arts is to imagine and promote healthy food systems through the arts. We do this in a number of ways. For example, this podcast, Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and your help, your donation, funds our technical assistance, our website, our manager, and pays our rent here. We also do this through our Farm to Artist residencies. 
And on these residencies, artists do their work on farms, real working farms, and there they understand the issues of the farmers and reflect that in their art. Your funding keeps us alive. Please make a donation on our website, agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, or click the link in the show notes and hit that donation button. The next day was the Yahtzee reunion. Gross mommies, uncles and aunts and cousins rolled down the road in their buckies on bareback and in carts. On my way home from town, I waved at all the Yahtzees. Some gathered in clumps near their house eating pie and ice cream. Others out playing softball in the field. Others batting a volleyball over the net. Children are chasing the geese into the pond and others shooing the guinea hens out of the road. How great, I thought. Finally, these folks are taking a break and having some fun. Then after supper, standing at the window doing my dishes, a squadron of Yutzis amassed at Donna's. Abram, his wife Bertha, and three grown daughters, their husbands and children were all milling around the library ruins with more hammers and crowbars. I wandered through the yard to check out the scene. Eight adults, men and women, and an equal number of children were yanking nails from the boards, wedging the heads between the claws of their tools. Swiftly, cleanly, the nails came out, one little boy gathering them into a tin can, the man stacking the clean boards on the wagon. We were all together at the reunion, Abram said, so we thought we'd come over here and pull the nails. A three-year-old with a tiny hammer toddled toward his grandmother, who was balancing a six-month-old baby on her knee. A four-year-old boy busied himself in a corner, hammering nails back into the boards as fast as his older brother could pull them out. Where's Banjo? Jolene asked. Jolene was the only child I could converse with. She'd been attending one-room school long enough to learn English. The others only spoke Dutch at home. Banjo's home in her pen, I said. We'll bring her over, Bertha said. I hesitated, fearing my puppy would be wild with all the commotion. But Banjo was Bonnie's pup, the Yutzi's lovely dog who stood in the doorway to their greenhouse, greeting the customers just like at Walmart. Carts are here, she seemed to say. Check out there. We have some really beautiful bubblegum petunias today. Would you like to see them? My old dog had died several years before, and I vowed I wouldn't get another dog unless I could find one like Bonnie. Then Bonnie had pups. Every day for the first six weeks of Banjo's life, the Yutzi children played and romped with her. Good with children was one of the qualities I wanted in a dog check. I walked Banjo over to the nail-pulling party, and the little Amish children raced to her, squealing and laughing. They petted her, pulled her ears, pulled her tail. One tot rode on top of her back. Another put his straw hat on her head. Banjo! Banjo! they yelled. 
then to their grandmother in Dutch. Lek, lek, she's licking my face. Banjo loved it, romping and playing. Good with children. Check. I sat on an overturned bucket in the middle of the nail-pulling party until the sun went down and the Amish families piled back in their buggies for home. What a delight and how unusual for an English person to catch a glimpse of how a communal society makes a boring, mundane task fun, I thought. The English world used to be like this, too, I realized. The scene was a remnant of another era, one before automation, before families narrowed and moved great distances from one another. It was a remnant of a world when cooperation was prized, families worked together, and children learned skills from their parents. Now most of us live under the pressure of small nuclear families. Our individualized culture tells us to look out for ourselves, at the most for our children. Extended multi-generational families in a single house or homestead are a thing of the past. We glean our entertainment from our devices, not from each other. And fun is something detached from work. In this era of the great resignation, companies are offering new employees fun benefits. They are building gyms in their office buildings. They hope to enhance their employees' health allowing them some exercise during a day of confinement in a cubicle. Living in the middle of an Amish neighborhood is like living in an agricultural museum. It's a blast from the past when I was a small child and we still had threshing crews, quilting bees, and party telephone lines. Not everything was harmonious then, and not everybody got along, but we tended to pull together for occasions like nail-pulling parties. Donna didn't have to pay for the demolition of the library. Instead, the materials were recycled, and Abram even made some money. We had a neighborhood event, an event we would never have experienced on any device, feeling closer to each other through the antics of children, a dog, crowbars, and a hammer. I took all that lumber to the auction and got a thousand dollars, Abram told me later. The library completely vanished. Nothing left but dirt covering the old foundation. Donna has now seeded down the site with grass. We've had several questions sent to us from listeners 
addressed to our resident old order Amish gross mommy, chef, and poet, Ruby Yoder. I have her seated beside me here. Hello, Ruby. Oh, hello. Okay, so our first listener wants to know if you've seen Amish Paradise. Why, yes, I live there right now. Free Martintown is truly an Amish paradise. Now, I think the listener is referring to a YouTube video. A, a you, a you what? YouTube video. It's like a little movie you watch on the computer. Oh, oh, I've never looked at anything on any computer. The video is a parody of Gangsta Paradise, a song by an American rapper that goes like this. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, 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 I recognize that line. Psalm 23, verse 4. I take a look at my life and realize not much left because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks my mind is gone. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. What happened to the psalm? Well, the Amish paradise begins like this, Ruby. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I look at my wife and realize she's very sane. Yeah. Hmm, the rhythm is off a little there in that second line. But, well, of course, the Amish wife is sane. But, now that isn't the psalm either. This, this does seem silly. Maybe this is an entry for your bad poetry contest. Well, I take it you're not enthusiastic about this video, Ruby. Well, I can't see it, and I never will. I don't know anything about your rap music. What does that even mean? Let's go back to the psalm. Let's go on to the next question, Ruby. Here's one that came over Facebook. There's a picture of a group of school children dressed in capes and caps with harmonicas in hand. It's a harmonica band, the author says, during the Depression. So you've heard of such a thing? Well, yes, of course. The English, well, they took up the harmonica during the Depression. It was cheap, easy to play, easy to carry around. The English just went over the top with that little instrument. They taught the harmonica in their schools and marched around in those little youth bands playing stars and stripes forever, all that kind of thing. Of course, the harmonica is the only instrument that the Amish are allowed to play, but we play hymns on it. We don't form bands, but I know they existed no, we don't march in bands or parades or anything like that that celebrates war. Why don't we still have harmonica bands? That looks like so much fun, though, Ruby. Well, in World War II, there was a ban on German imports. 
and harmonicas became quite scarce. So I imagine the bands broke up, and then the English people didn't want to play anything like that that was so German. Wow. Did the Amish have trouble during the World Wars? No harmonicas. Ha, it was more than that. As you know, we were originally from Switzerland, of course, but we spoke German. Oh, I suppose nobody liked that during the wars. Huh, no, they didn't. And we were pacifists. Most of our men didn't go to war. I think I told you before, that's why our men shave off their mustache. All the generals in the armies in Europe, where we came from, had long, pointy mustaches. We were protesting them. And we still are. Oh, I see. Well, all that's got us into a lot of trouble. But they didn't have conscientious objector alternative service in World War II. In World War I, they just threw all men into the barracks together. If you refused to put on the uniform or pick up a gun, you could be beaten or thrown in prison. Yikes. Yes, little known fact. Two Hutterites died in the dungeon of Alcatraz in World War I. In World War II, men from Free Martintown served as firefighters in the western United States. But that was no picnic either. Dangerous work. While our men were gone fighting fires, some of the English burned them in effigy here. No, you're kidding. True story. Or they might paint your house yellow for coward, you know. But nobody knows how much courage it takes to go against the mindset of a society. So much courage. Thank you, Ruby. Always informative and insightful. And that brings our episode to an end. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brew Ha Ha Audio Productions in our studios on Main Street in sunny Free Martintown. We had support today and would like to thank the Cinepid Fund, the Iowa Arts Council, the Warner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation, and the Calio Levine Fund, and all of you who have sent us individual private donations. We welcome your support. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and never miss a podcast. Become a member or simply go to our website, agarts.org, and hit that red donation button. See you next time. Bruja. We've been